Hey everybody, welcome to our second episode of Dickinson Forevermore podcast. I'm one of the co-hosts, Robin Datman. I am a content creator at LDW Films, and I'm also the resident producer nerd here on the podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Jess. I am a writer, actor, and a resolute dreamer on this podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Jay Red. I am a photographer, a music producer, and the resident fashion nerd of this podcast. And also I'm a clown part-time, so there's that. <laughs> Available for parties. Also looking for a muse. So we created this podcast because we literally cannot stop talking about Elena Smith's show on Apple TV Dickinson. So we're not going to. We're just going to keep talking about it. And every week we're going to have a new guest. We are going to explore the many themes and the many layers of the show. We're going to look at the art and the craft, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. We're going to talk about the parallels of history, the revisionist view Elena has brought to us, what it makes us think about, what it makes us feel, and how we think this kind of art impacts the world. This week, we're going to be discussing the theme, creating an Emily of our own, and what does that mean for each of us? We'll also be diving into 307, The Future Never Spoke, as we discuss everything with Luca. So, creating an Emily of our own. And uh, the inspiration for this came from the Houghton Library webinar. Elena Smith actually said this at the very end of that panel session, which is fantastic. We'll make sure to give you all a link. You should listen to it. One of the things Elena was saying was that she was hoping that that's what the show did, was to give everybody an opportunity to create an Emily of our own. And um, so we just wanted to talk a little bit about that and what that means. Uh, Jess, what do you got? Okay, well, let me preface this by saying that I still haven't found my Emily because what, of what her work does to me, I don't necessarily feel like I need to have my own Emily because it's still open to interpretation. So I just wanted to make that clear before saying this. Um, immortalizing Emily's words, um, despite the bleakness of its own reality, providing memorialization of the human condition and pursuing hope within darkness. Um, <clears throat> choosing to create change by articulation of words and the challenges that re rebel against normative speculation and revolution in the context of dialogue. To me, that means the impact of words that it can have on anyone because for everyone, it's different. Not everybody's going to draw the same story from what they read. They're not going to draw the same inspiration or draw the same theory. I mean, of course, we have like-minded people in the world that will share our perception, but not everybody will fully see it through the lens of your eyes. And I think that open interpretation leaves so much space for finding your own Emily or even creating your own Emily and, and what that means to you specifically. Yeah. I think, I think not even just like, like someone can interpret it like Emily's words differently from you but I say this a lot like for me I can read one of Emily Dickinson's poems and then have something like read it and then it means something to me in that moment and then two months later 
I go through life, I live life, I have some experiences and then go back to that same poem, read it again. And it just means something completely differently to me, you know? Yeah. Just even in your own eyes, Emily is this anomaly that just is, you can't put her in a box. And, and for me, I, I say this often, um, I dwell in possibilities. That's Emily Dickinson, you know, she is forever evolving and she is not just one thing. And her poetry is not just one thing. Her words are not just one thing. They can mean several things at several different times. Yeah, I, uh, that leads me into like my Emily. So my wife is a poet and I have read poetry for a long time and always tried to access it from a filmmaker standpoint, which is what's the visual? What are they saying? And sometimes with my wife, it's like, is that poem about me? Like I was, looking at poetry as if that they're trying to tell me about them and through this show and through emily's poetry i for me it's a dialogue now it's like oh it this is me where i'm at when i read that poem just like you said jay and it changes but it's a dialogue because of what it evokes in me so it's not somebody telling me who they are it's the poetry helping me see who i am like i when i take her poems into our garden and read them. That's me and Emily. I feel like I'm sitting with her and I, I, I can't even articulate what that feels like, but it, it I, really changed my relationship to myself. So you feel like when you read Emily Dickinson's poetry, you know, you're sitting with her. I think Emily Dickinson is my guardian angel. Like mm -hmm. she, like I can, I, so I'm a photographer. You say like you're you like look at poetry like through the scope of like being a, a filmmaker and a, and a producer for me like I, I do photography and like I can look up at the sky or the sunset and like I can take a picture right and feel so so impacted by that picture by that shot and then just immediately think whenever I'm going to post the picture to use one of her poems as a caption you know, bring me the sunset in a cup. Like that mm -hmm. is, it's, and it just means so much. It's a few words. There are a few words from, from her poems, but they mean so much. And mm -hmm. like, I feel like she's just kind of guiding me through life and, and inspiring me every single day. Is there a line that stands out to each of you outside of bring me the sunset in a cup or I dwell in possibilities? Is there any lines other than those that stick out to either of you? Yes, I am out with lanterns searching for myself because every day I discover something new about me. Yes. And every day you are ever evolving and ever growing, just like Emily Dickinson's poetry. So I'm out with lanterns looking for myself. Oh my God. That's so beautiful. I, I don't have just one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I have so many in the moment where I will literally read. <laughs> Read, read the poetry before we go to bed and my wife's sitting next to me reading something and I'll just be like oh and she'll be like what I'll be like I can't, I can't. and then I'll just shut, <laughs> I'll shut the book because I, I your words are too powerful Emily I can't articulate it I just get transported and then I go into a different place and I start thinking about my life and I start like Robin Robin is Sue she's like Emily you're poems are too powerful for me they are like snakes they are they're like <laughs> yeah which brings me also to elena's writing i am so blown away this season i have to read a tweet um this is by at back of the head his name is john and i can't pronounce his last name 
this community, I swear to God, I feel like I'm in this incredible, like masterclass from Elena, but also the incredible people on Twitter, this community we have that's so in intelligent, but so accessible and these conversations that that we're having, it's like, it's like an immense panel discussion all the time. Elena tweeted that like her fandom is her state. Yeah, the, the tweet is, I'm a pretty bright guy, I think, but Dickinson is a work of genius that leaves me racing to measure up. Watching it demands me raising my game to fully appreciate the depth and nuance of the writing, nuance of the writing, directing, and the cast stunningly textured performances. And that is so true. The writing, okay, not even just the fandom, but the writing of this show. And oh, yeah. This episode, this episode in particular, yeah. like it makes you, and I know we were talking about this a bit on our first episode and Elena and the writing team really just kind of let us let our minds race and go off to this place right so for me I'm I'm thinking of all these theories can I can I speak to the fact that going back to talking about Emily ever evolving and what that means um I think it's constantly evolving not just because of how well written she is but also she's eternal she is mm -hmm. eternal. She succeeded in her immortality. Hell yeah. But see, the crazy thing is, is like, she didn't, I just want to highlight Lavinia. Okay. Yes. This is to touch on, okay. She didn't achieve immortality. Emily Dickinson didn't achieve immortality because she didn't want that. She told Lavinia to burn her poems. Without Lavinia, we would not have an Emily of our own period. Like so true. Yes, it is true. Can you imagine the moment? Like, what do you think? Do you think maybe Vinny went up and was like, oh, all right. And then she found all the poems, found all the fascicles, and then picked them up and went over to the fireplace and was like, oh, wow. Like, did she sit down and read them? And she was like, I can't burn these. Like, what was that moment like, do you think? That's crazy. Like, we'll never know. And then, we'll like, you can know. paint so many, you can paint so many images of this, right? Like, we got a snippet of it in 307 where, where Emily Dickinson looks over at Vinny and she's like, I told I thought I told you to burn my poems and then you see Vinny she's like yeah no I they were too good I just couldn't like well in that in that moment too it's like you realize that while they're in the future and they don't have memories of the future because they don't exist in that timeline but they touched on something that was a later discussion late in Emily's life because that discussion hadn't happened yet between Lavinia and Emily Oh. that that wasn't something that became a thing until later on in Emily's life when she was closer to her death oh. that it was a real conversation but in the show for that split second it's like they did more than just transport into the future to talk to Plath they also transported mentally into the future there because that hadn't happened yet but the thing is is they didn't transport emily dickinson freaking transported her mind transported her there like this I, th there's so much that i love about that episode that was just like it just was mind-boggling but also like i don't know it like it transported me like yeah i felt like i was like i felt like a kid low-key when i watched that I, it made me really excited and, and happy and elated that that we were blessed to, to get to read Emily Dickinson's poetry. And it made me more grateful for Lavinia. Yeah. When, when the episode was over, so my wife and I watched it uh, before we went to bed and then she went to bed and I just sat 
on the couch. I was just like, what the, what the hell We saw Robin, we saw Robin just a tweet storm happened after Robin watched <laughs> I, but the episode. I, you know, and now like I see, <laughs> I, we were all in shambles. Oh my God. And I can't always, art- yeah, I was like, I cannot articulate this. And then sometimes it comes out in this, my version of poetry, which is just like these, I don't even know. Did you guys see my tweet? I was literally like, I'm in shambles. This show, it like took my soul out of my chest, put it back in, broke my heart, put it back together, freaking uh, threw me out of, w- of a window, pulled me back in, <laughs> set me down softly, and then left me hanging on a cliff. Like it just smacked me in the face. <laughs> It made me remember me the past. Oh my God. Yeah. So, okay. Let's, okay. Let's dig in then. So the future never comes for women. How do you write a fucking line that is so perfect? How do you do that? Like I. It's so perfect and it transcends, it transcends to like, it has so many meanings. Like it could affect you in a different way than it affects me. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I sat on a couch for an hour. <laughs> Just. <laughs> The way it resonated. And, you know, for me, I would, I am one of those people who's like, I want to see them kiss. I want to see, you know, I want that because it, it keeps building into my own version of Emily, which is mine. And the show builds it out. Like I said, my imagination goes everywhere with this show. It, it's brilliant like that. Yeah. And it makes me sometimes feel like Emily Dickinson. Like my, my imagination is <laughs> rampant with this show. Right. But here's the thing. I'm also realistic to the fact that, you know, Elena's painting this picture, but she's also being like raw. Like they were, they lived back in the 1800s. They were women that were walking around in corsets, tight enough for them to not be able to freaking breathe. That just depicts the constraints that they were in. Sue was married to Emily's brother. Like they couldn't possibly be running around frolicking, holding hands and, and, and being all out in the open, you know, as much as we like to think, yeah, they had their honeymoon phase. That's great. But like, we also have to realize that these are two real people that lived in a real time, time frame that, that was full of just constraints for women. No, I was just going to say, and then Jess, I know you have a lot to say. I see you keep moving forward and Jay and I are like, but (laughs) I feel like also what's going on. And this is a conversation that we're all having is that Elena is building the foundation that you cannot come fully to somebody until you go through a certain journey, until you go to Dante's hell, right? Until you, the, the journey of a queer creative person or any creative person of your relationship to your work. And then how do you balance that with your real life? And then in this instance with your muse, right? There's so much to dig into, but I feel like that's what's going on right now is that Emily has to go through all this so she can come fully to Sue. Because if she doesn't reconcile that, she'll never bring her full self. Also, I know this is <laughs> this is a little slightly off topic, but in that orchard scene, can we just talk about for a moment the comedy in that split second where <laughs> Emily's walking through the orchard with her buckets, right? And she hears her name being called and she turns around like like she's looking for all her imaginary friends. Like, who said that? <laughs> right? She's like, B, is that you? It's so <laughs> true. She looked around for a whole second like, excuse me. But no, you know what I thought was funnier is that like Sue was like, almost upset like you don't you don't you feel me thinking about you like don't you see me up in this tree <laughs> their connection like you should know you should know it's me I'm the one up in this tree calling your name you know 
but to touch on to touch on Robin what you said is like you can't like Emily has to go through this this phase right for her to finally be you know fully soothed right I think that's the same for any relationship though like you Mm -hmm. if you do not love yourself if you do not deal with yourself first if you're not happy by yourself you're not going to be happy in a relationship you're not you're not going to be who you're supposed to be in a relationship you're supposed to as as partners you're supposed to be great individuals and then you're you should rely on your own happiness right and then come together and and add add to each other's happiness jay you're so wise (laughs) <laughs> yet I'm uh, yet I'm yet I'm single as hell. Okay, I am terminally single," said Lavinia. Your that is me. Will come. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, who's we gonna have- be Jay's muse? Oh no! Oh, oh opening oh, up more floodgates. Oh, oh. I'm married. I have my muse. <laughs> I had to. I had to. I had to say it. There you go. So on that note, one of my favorite lines, one of the ones that had me sitting on my couch, going like was uh, Vinny's line, real love doesn't exist in your imagination. It exists right here in this abjectly horrible place we call reality. Again, how do you write a line like that? Like, I want to be in Elena's writer's room. And like, did it just organically come out? Did Elena write that? Did you guys like have to sculpt this line? I am not- I want to know who wrote that line, but like who, who wrote that? Cause like, I just want to talk. Like I feel attacked. elena open invitation to come and talk to us and tell us who wrote that line um that you know the show is at once and i think this is great writing and poetry does the same thing it's completely personal and absolutely universal at the same time like it's so personal to my journey of what i had to go through to grow up a lot later than most people do um, because I lived in my imagination for a really long time. You know, I, uh, be really honest, I lost my sister when I was 12. And I basically, when you're 12, that's like when you start to come into reality. And basically part of me went, well, if that's reality, F that. And, you know, started writing, started acting. Um, but it really, my personal life as well, I think I mentioned this before, like I was in my own music video. I did not want to see things as they really were. Because you didn't. Scary. It scared the crap out of me. You didn't deal with any of that trauma right then and there. You dealt with it later on. Oh, I dealt with it. I just didn't know I was dealing with it. And then, yes, a great deal of therapy. <laughs> um, yeah, I was angry and I was pissed at my sister for dying. And, you know, to be honest, you know, she died in a car accident. It was not her fault. Like, but I was 12. And so I was angry. I stuffed my feelings and they came out. Yeah, it took a lot for me to be able to access that again that line just kept hitting me and I didn't even relate it back to what I've already been through, but it just reverberated inside of me, like the truth of it. And to me, you know, again, that's a very personal thing and I connected to it personally, but universally, it's so true. (laughs) I think, I think even more deeper, like, I mean, not even, it's not even such a huge line, right? But when Vinny, I guess when Vinny asked Emily, like, is it true? Is it true that you love other women? And then she goes, it's Sue, right? It's Sue. And then just that it's a simple line. And the delivery was, I think it was more the delivery. It was, I think I knew that. 
I I felt that on a deeper level because when I came out, like, my, well, I didn't come out willingly. Okay, I was outed. Um, my mother dragged me out of the closet, um, kicking and screaming and throwing up. Uh, and she was like, I always knew. She's like, I kind of knew. And it just, it's, it's a whole, it, it just hit me on a deeper level. And it was just a small line, but yeah. the delivery is what had the impact on me. So like, Anna Barishnikov, you are absolutely brilliant. You have peeled back so many layers this season that honestly, I'm just so excited to see what project she's working on next because this, she's just brilliant. And, and her portrayal of Vinny, I just, I think to touch on everything on, on the casting on a whole nother level, I don't think there's anyone that could have played Lavinia as as amazingly as Anna Baryshnikov did, mm. like like with Ella Hunt and Sue, Haley and Emily, like I just the whole cast, Adrian and Austin. I just don't think there could have been a better cast. Yeah. Well, speaking to the cast, can I just say that they made the perfect choice using Chloe Fineman as Sylvia Plath. There could oh, not yes. have been anybody to pull that off better than her. She's a lesbian. She's a sapphic, a homosexual, a woman who loves other women. So good. Yeah. But but Emily's reaction, a uh, what? The gay panic. <laughs> the gay panic. The gay panic. I cannot. But again, that small moment, but it's so true. They didn't have that word back then. No, all they had was sapphic. Yeah. Which, Which is also... what a word we use now. We're using that word heavily now. And how sapphic was it when they were in the orchard, right? And when Sue jumps out of the tree and she's like, of course, I'm mad at you. That's why you should have came to see me. That women, <laughs> women is gay. Women. That is gay activity, lesbian activity. She's like, you're supposed to read my mind. Duh. <laughs> like That's so true. Okay. I want to ask you both a question. This is something else that came up of creating an Emily of your own is the responsibility of a creator to their audience. Cause I feel like it's a really interesting thing. Again, we've been talking about on Twitter where people were like, oh, thanks for the P, you know, what about that picture? People are using the term queer baiting. Oh, don't even get me started on that. It's- Yeah, it's- It's the queerest show in all senses, so. You can't, <laughs> here's the thing. You can't, you can't have it all, people. No, um, you can't. And, maybe, and you can, and, 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 and you can, but here's the thing, Elena is giving you, look, Elena is giving you, a, she's painting the picture. She is building up this story to be what it's supposed to be. She's like, painting her picture though, and that's the of thing. Of Emily, and then you can interpret it in yes. your own way. You yes. can have an Emily of your own. Here's the thing, we understand you're upset, <laughs> but let's be real, let's be real. Like they are, they are a couple and like a couple, Every, every couple has their fights, has their arguments. Elena from day one, Elena and her team said, this is our interpretation. This is a revisionist look back based on historical facts that we know and all the things we don't know. And I think it's a really interesting discussion to say, hey, a creator, what do they owe us? Like, I think, I think from my own work, you sort of make a promise to the audience in the beginning of a show, like in the season one, you're sort of promising them what this is. And that was the promise that was gave to us. This was one look at a historical figure who wrote this poetry with all these knowns and unknowns. And that's all that was promised to us. And so we're getting, we're getting this amazing show, in my opinion, that invites me to go and figure out who my Emily is, right? 
And what about this historical fact and all these amazing conversations? But that's all Elena owes me is to take me on this ride. And that's the only thing she's ever offered. And it's a hell of a ride, right? That's kind of my take on it is what, what was the promise and how are they coming through on it? Um, and here's the thing, at the end of the day, Elena's not giving me anything that I wasn't giving myself already. Like mm. she's, what she's doing is she's giving me a voice too of empowerment. Yeah, like I I had already known who Emily Dickinson was before the show, but now with this show, it's like she's given us this modern, fresh take on it, but has also really like helped us see this person, this anom anomaly that is Emily Dickinson, who was so unseen. Like we've never had a project like this to highlight her in the way that it has and to put her work, her poetry on the front. Also, um, can I speak to the fact that <clears throat> going back to the theme of what the responsibility of a creator is to their, to their story, to their audience, to their storytelling, um, I also think that she knew long ago that she was going to deliver bit by bit to keep the audience coming back for more because you can't give it all at one time. And yes, we did get, a, get, did get that in season one. And we have gotten it throughout the seasons just in more subtle ways, but also you, the audience needs to remember that there's a difference between what they consider to be queer baiting and that demographic of, of the people who are fans of the show that watch it and think that, but also it wasn't queer baiting by any means. And okay, can I, can I just like, okay, so I was, I was a super, I was a super girl fan for six seasons all right that is queer baiting that is queer baiting that is queer baiting okay what elena is doing is not queer baiting you guys are come on going to arcs speaking to arcs you look at sue's arc again she is constructing this queer in my from from what i can see from all the breadcrumbs that are being laid out this queer this foundation for a queer relationship right i mean that's what we're seeing is these you know we're seeing queerness in a different way it's not just about kissing under a tree, right? That's not just all a queer relationship is, right? It's all these other things. It's about how do we live in a world that doesn't always accept us? And again, still the same in 2021. I mean, I happen to always live on a coast where it was acceptable. I lived in California I mean... and in New York, so I was lucky, but like, we're still not accepted, right? And so- Look, I'm gonna tell you right now, out of all the queer relationships I've had, which have been a few, um, I was not kissing under no trees and everything wasn't all rainbows and sunshines and unicorns. I mean, but the beginning, right? Season one, you have that little honeymoon phase and you're, you're out here writing poems to each other and, and, and you have the volcano scene and they're, they're young and in love and you see it. They're grown now. They got grown people problems. Yeah. I mean, then that's brilliant writing. I mean, that's where she's taking us. She's taking us through the journey of this entire relationship. And I have complete faith of where it's going to end up. I don't know exactly what the shot's going to look like. When the show is over, you guys are going to be in shambles in the best way possible. Great. Yeah. We're doing what we're, we're actually recording that like what the day after Christmas. Great. Stop. I'm going to be crying. Robin. Oh my God. Screaming, also, crying, throwing up. Also, I just want to say, I just want to say um, that speaking back to the writing of the show, fans of the show and also us as well need to keep in mind that without the angst, there would be no longing. 
you wouldn't be searching mm. for these crumbs if there was no angst. You need that angst to fuel the longing so that she can come back around full circle. Elena's going to eat us. Elena's going to eat and she's going to leave no crumbs. Oh no God. crumbs. Jess, I love that. No, there is no queer baiting going on. There is just massive amounts of queerness going on. <laughs> and you got to be able to be subtle about it. Having said and that. Queer, and queerness in, in all ways. Jess, yeah. um, I think we, we wanted to touch on this. The trans character. Yes. yes. I did. I, I mentioned that a few times about how, even though it was only for a split second, that line of, I went to enlist to fight in the war and they couldn't handle my gender. Like, wow. The depth of just that statement. And to mm -hmm. highlight the fact that we have a trans or non-binary character because we, we haven't really explored that side yet i mean we there is a lot of queerness in the show we see it through multiple characters like toshiaki for example but amen but we have not explored that side yet and so just to get that little crumb of we see you elena sees you in the world your voice is going to be elevated too speaks volumes to the writing that how considerate can you be as a writer, when you there has, take into consideration all of the options out there that you have to work with. And she chose that specific one to highlight. And I thought that was just immaculate. There has never been a show where I felt more seen before in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And also her, her team, she has trans writers, trans directors. She has people of color. Like she has all women. Like it's just, I don't. It's the most beautiful dynamic that yeah. I've ever seen in television ever. And, and she, she she tweeted about it. She said, "When women make TV, women make TV some of the best TV I've ever seen because this this show is beyond anything I can put into words." Somebody had mentioned again on Twitter. I know I keep referencing that, but again, gold in there. Um, about uh the female gaze and about how this show is solely the female gaze that was brooke was it oh yeah. was it okay it, yes it was brooke it was brooke that said that oh stay tuned stay, stay tuned. tuned she's on our third episode people so our next guest for our second episode his name is luca he is 17 years old he is from Melbourne, Australia. He is in his final year of high school. And this is his journey with Emily Dickinson. Uh, so let's get right into it. First things first, what made you fall in love with Dickinson? What was the first thing that pulled at your heartstrings and made you say, wow, I love it here? Um, I think I got into Dickinson uh, towards the end of last year, just a bit before season two came out. And uh it, it was during, still during lockdown and stuff. Um, and I think it was, as soon as I started watching it, I think it, it just, it was such like an escape. And just, I felt so sort of drawn into the world. Um, you know, especially like the start of season one, I feel like it's just this very much sort of, you know, nostalgic, sort of like special place to sort of escape to. And I think it was probably the end of episode two uh, with the volcano scene 
where I was just, I think that's what fully sort of cemented my connection to the world and the characters. Goodness, I love that volcano scene. I think it transformed us all, didn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Everybody's like, I'm in. Including the actors. Many moments in, in those first two episodes um, with the orchard and, you know, going to the college lecture. Like there's a lot of moments that just feel very sort of personal and, and sort of, yeah, connecting to that sort of secret feeling. Did you know about um, Emily Dickinson? I didn't. Yeah, I, I don't think I did. Um, I, I discovered Haley in September last year. And then we, my dad had got a new computer. So we got Apple TV plus free for a year. So that's when I started the show. Love. Oh, well, since we mentioned Haley, that leads me to my next question. I see you're a huge Haley Steinfeld fan, as am I. I absolutely adore her. How do you feel her performances have evolved throughout the three seasons in, in Dickinson? Um, yeah, I think Haley gives an incredible performance throughout all three seasons. And yeah, it's definitely evolved. I guess the character journey of Emily sort of starting off in season one is this very sort of place of childhood and having to listen to her father and stuff and, you know, her growth throughout the season, becoming more mature and, um, you know, standing up to her father and then connecting with Sue and all of that is a, is a really amazing journey in terms of the writing. Um, and I think that Haley has captured it so well. There's so many moments where she's able to sort of portray this emotion um, and connect with the audience in such a, such a beautiful, impactful way. Um, I think especially throughout season two, there was so many moments where at least I, I assume a lot of people were able to just connect with all the feelings that she, that Emily had throughout that season of feeling lost and confused with everything with Sam and Sue pulling away. And then at the end of episode eight, that sort of betrayal and heartbreak and all of that. I feel like, yeah, Haley's performance is just absolutely incredible in this show. I, I think I can agree with that. I mean, just such a visceral performance every single time. Um, so these characters have grown so much throughout seasons one through three. Which character development has captured your attention the most? And what about their character development has surprised you the most? Um, I love Sue's arc um, going from in season one being very, you know, in grief and but also very sort of innocent. Um, and then with everything that happens with the miscarriage and getting married to Austin, she sort of just completely shrinks and puts up this sort of false persona in season two. Um, and I think that the moment in, uh, in season two, episode nine, where she's talking to Mary and she sort of breaks down and, and talks about how she feels about, you know, the miscarriage and everything, I think was a really impactful moment for Sue to sort of, you know, realize all this pain that you've been carrying and let that go. Um, and then I love how in season three, now she's been able to sort of, you know, like accept who she is and, and be sort of expressive in what she wants with her love for Emily. And even in the most recent episode, sort of, you know, saying to Austin that like accepting that he wants to be with the child and, and you know, working that out. So yeah, definitely Sue's arc over all three seasons has been really great. And I think Ella has done that really amazingly. I also um, love Austin's arc. I feel like he had a, a lot of development over season two, where in season one, he was, um, you know, he, he was a bit more throughout, throughout all, you know, he, he's always kind of struggled with sort of the responsibilities or patriotic duties of a man at the time or whatever. But then um, 
I think in season two, he really sort of went when, when he sort of, you know, supported Emily with her poetry and realized that that Sue and him weren't in love. He, he had a lot of growth as a character. And season three, it's been very interesting seeing his journey, seeing sort of how broken he is with the war and, and his marriage to Sue and everything. It was a bit of a uh, sort of unexpected change, but I think that I've really enjoyed seeing this sort of different version of his character throughout this season. And I'm really excited to see how that sort of all resolves at the next few episodes. I think I think not just touching on the fact that he's like, this broken man now right but he he's like open about it and he's accepting yeah. it and he's he's up front about it and and even though people may not like it but i mean he's going through it and he's he's not afraid to let you know he's going through it yeah yeah what i love about what i've been noticing with this season is i feel like all the characters have these different conflicts and none of them are only right or only wrong they've all sort of done things that have hurt others and it's all about kind of working through all that which is it shows that they're kind of complex characters and and makes them quite realistic absolutely were you surprised when um when sue went to Austin and kind of made that proposal of like, let's parent together. We're already in an unconventional marriage. Yeah. I, I think I did expect something like that to happen. Um, at some point, I, I, it almost felt a bit strange directly after episode five. And I almost felt it was a bit rushed or something at first. Um, but looking back on it, I feel like, you know, it makes sense. Some time has passed and Sue's sort of mm-hmm. um, come to terms with everything. And I, I think that, that what it might mean is that it's interesting because when, I remember when we started getting sort of some shots of, um, you know, in the trailer and stuff, and it's suggesting that Austin would go down a darker path. And I was a bit disappointed because I loved sort of how he kind of matured and stuff in season two. But I thought that that could be a really good sort of storyline if we then see him kind of gradually become the man that we know him to be later in history. Um, But because he was then sort of broken from the start of the season, I feel like his arc is actually more about, you know, being this sort of broken person and then kind of coming out from that. Yeah, I have to say with Austin, and I love... Adrian so much and I think he's doing such a great job. I kind of feel like Austin is ha- is being forced to grow into be a man. Like I feel like he's been a little boy throughout both seasons like and I can actually relate to that of being somebody who would uh, you know w- lived in my own little bubble for a while. <laughs> Everything was my own little music video and something would come up and be like rock danger and I'd be like nope, not really. And uh, it smacked me in the ass later. So I kind of can relate to Austin. Um, I don't think I went as dark as Austin, but um, having to kind of reconcile with reality, reconciling reality with your dreams. And then what do you do when they're kind of shattered? And even um, now that he's sort of been drafted into the army and we know from history that he's not go and probably in the show because he will want to stay with his son now. I think that will make a really sort of interesting storyline with seeing how sort of his dad reacts to that and maybe thinking that Austin's not taking up the responsibility that he should. Yeah. I was wondering how, if they were going to do that and how they were going to do that after I read that the real Austin paid somebody to take his place, which apparently was a common thing for rich, you know, well-to-do men who are like, nope. (laughs) Yeah. I, I love, I love that with Austin, even though, you know, in history, it seems like he wasn't the greatest guy. Throughout the show, even though he does some things that are pretty awful, they've, they've always made him sort of an empathetic character. And even if we don't necessarily agree with the things he's doing, you can still sort of see his perspective on things and understand why he will do things. It makes you realize, I mean, these characters are human after all. I mean, they're real people yeah. that went through real stuff, you know? So I actually wanted to touch on this earlier, Robin. You said you you would head 
first straight into danger. No, I wouldn't. I would ignore it. I would be. Oh, you would ignore it. <laughs> no, that. everything was my music video. I lived in New York and I was like, no, everything's the way I want to see life. And um, I would get, you know, red flags. <laughs> and I'd be like, she saw red flags and she's like, it's a carnival. No, it's my reality. And then life was like, no, actually, Robin, actually, it's not. Um, it's But it's growing up, right? I just didn't do it. I just did it later. I feel that very much now. I think Jess and I were talking about it yesterday, just just the growing pains. I mean, I mean, seeing I mean, touching back on Austin, I mean, just seeing him going through all of this, it, it like kind of takes me back to like, I mean, he struggled with alcoholism and he's just, you know, he's just going through it, self-destructing. It just it I feel like we can connect so deeply to all these characters, you know? Yeah. We also talked about um, how in the last episode that um you know it's still hard for women to ask for what they want but we also touched on the fact that it's really hard for men nowadays too i think that comes full circle back around to what's morally gray and what men in general are conditioned to expect from life and how they're supposed to present themselves to the world you know it's it's the same for women but i think especially in comparison to the 19th century when austin was conditioned and he comes from privilege, so he doesn't understand that struggle yet. But he will, because now he's on that slope. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. All right, Luca, so going back to Haley Steinfeld, since we're both huge fans, well, all of us, I think, are pretty huge fans of Haley. Like, how could you not love her, right? So Haley Steinfeld often mentions in interviews that Emily Dickinson and the show Dickinson has had a big influence on her life and how she writes her music. How has Dickinson inspired your day-to-day life? Has there been an episode that has completely changed your life in any way? I'm not sure if there's been a specific episode or whatever. I think that um, just generally the show has sort of opened up my my mind to, I guess, looking at the world in different ways. Um, and I think that's sort of a, a big theme of exploration within the show. I'm thinking back to sort of uh, the conversation with um, with Ben by the lake in episode six of season one, when they sort of discuss maybe, you know, men and women don't have to get married or whatever, or, you know, stuff with Austin about sort of what a man's responsibility is. It sort of, it looks at sort of different, yeah, I guess just different sort of perspectives and uh, things outside the box of not having to sort of conform to society's sort of expectations and whatever in different ways. I think that's definitely sort of, yeah, just influenced my sort of look at the world. If somebody came to you and said, is there one scene, Luca, that you would point to that is like the kind of the pinnacle of her talent in action? Um, I mean, there's so many scenes. And <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Trick question. <laughs> I think the moment that obviously stands out uh, is the argument in episode 10. Uh, for both Haley and Ella, I think their performances in that scene are just absolutely incredible. Connect to all the emotions they're feeling. Flip the lark, that whole episode is when she sees Sue. I think Haley's performance there is is really, really impactful. At the end of episode eight of season two, I think that, that last shot where she sees Sam with Sue, just in her eyes, in just one look, she's able to just communicate all sort of the betrayal and the heartbreak, and it's just completely shattering and beautiful, and it's, yeah. That is incredible. But I was like, why is she staring there? And I was like, oh, she's like, okay, go ahead. But then I was like, there was such a blend of what was going on, and then it wasn't a smile like, oh, I'm enjoying this, but there was something else that she did that she layered in 
It was almost it was almost snarky. Like it looked like a snarky, sly little smile, like, oh, oh yeah, I see, I see what's going on here. I yeah. Well what I love too is that who knows what she was doing, right? Because we can we can imagine what her choice was there. But for me, it was I was like, oh fuck, they connect like she saw Sue. Like she yeah. knows Sue saw her. And that's what I had in my head. And then Elena said it later. But what's cool is that it's so subjective is that all four of us could watch it and get something different right. because she layered in so much. All I got to say is I gasped. When oh, I, yeah. I gasped when <laughs> I watched that scene. I will always regret not filming my reaction to the end of that episode. <laughs> I remember, you know, that feeling that sort of anticipation as she's walking up. Um, the Leonard Cohen song over Death's Carriage, that was so good in that scene. Yeah. And as she's walking upstairs, she's in the library and she sees Sue. Sue's in that beautiful red dress. And it's just like this sort of moment that's been building after all these episodes. Um, and then it was, it was such a subversion that made complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and I'm pretty sure I like stood up and I screamed at the TV. <laughs> So, uh, and I, I, you know, I was completely felt completely betrayed and hurt, but also I was like, of course. And I think, especially because in episode five, there was sort of the suggestion that, Sam, and even there was kind of hinted in the trailer, which it turned out to be not a real scene, that Sam would sleep with Emily. Always that kind of going on. So then when it was Sue and Sam, that was just sort of this completely sort of flipped it in this really sort of twisted and shocking way. I knew he was a snake. Yeah. <laughs> I think that actor is really great. I really like that actor and loved listening to him in interviews and stuff. And I thought he played the snake really well. The way he ate, the way he just devoured everything and he was always hungry. I, I don't know if this was an intentional sort of parallel, but uh, I noticed how in episode three, Sam is eating um, purple grapes. And then in episode 10, Emily's being fed green grapes. Oh, wow. Good detail. This is why we got to get production people on this show. We have so many questions. It connected to that whole thing of um, forbidden fruit a flavor has. Yeah. Jess, Jess, you're writing all this down, right? We got to go back to the clips. We got to go. I'm doing homework. Mm. <laughs> Sam as a character was like, I have never hated a character more, but I, I think he was such an effective inclusion in the show like whenever whenever he was on screen I just felt so uncomfortable and it was like and the music like the score with you know it was just it was so effective it was perfect I think Elena perfectly characterized some people in the entertainment industry that sort of feed on other people's talent and they don't really have talent they have charisma he reminded me of some people I have like run into in the yeah. entertainment industry <laughs> some vampires when Maggie got the poems back, I was, that's when I stood up when that happened. Cause I was like, yes. yeah, I was like, yes. Uh, Maggie is really an underdog. She is, but she's like the fandom's favorite character though. I know we love a character actress. <laughs> she drew the bath yes. while they were eating grapes. And prepared the whole spread. Like, was that what she was doing downstairs the whole time while they were like yes. busy getting naked? The whole time she's like, oh, sounds like, okay, they're coming down the stairs. I got it. Yeah, yeah, I love how that's just sort of something that the entire fandom has headcanoned. Like, I like yes. said that she didn't even think about it. She, she, everyone was like, where was Maggie during all that? Like, oh, I didn't think of that. Maggie is the queen of mischief. I mean, literally, like, what episode was it? Four? Yeah, it was episode four. She's like, 
telling freaking the Dickinson parents, uh, elves? Oh. <laughs> oh, it's probably elves. Yeah. What about what about when Sue's giving birth and she's like, well, oh my god. <laughs> she's like slim hips. I don't know. <laughs> I know a cousin who had three arms and four legs, so could be that. Oh my god, guys, the sheep shears. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, Mrs. Dickinson. And then what did she say? I'm gonna need the, the pig scraper, the yeah, pig scraper. Make a, Miss, Mrs. Dickinson is, was the clutch in that in that episode. She like it was delivered perfectly. <laughs> I will forever have the line, that bitch won't let me hold the baby in my brain, <laughs> living rent-free. I just I will never get over that. So Continuing talking about Haley, um, and I want everyone to answer this because, you know, I'm obsessed with fashion and I think I'm the resident fashion nerd here. Um, what look that Haley has worn from either of the seasons has left you gasping for air? And I mean, all of you like snatched your breath, snatched your wigs, snatched your edges, <laughs> like all of that. Mm. Mm. I loved her her dress at the um the opera. Yeah. Yeah. I loved her dress when she first when she went to the Evergreens after she said that they could publish he could publish her poem. Mm. Mm. That was and I think that was the first time that we saw. I guess she looked gorgeous. She looked she looked quite sort of. They they showed a shot of just sort of her head as she was knocking on the door, and it almost. It almost looked a bit out of place, like she looked modern. That's what I love about this show, though. Yeah. It's like the modern slang, the modern, you know, soundtrack. Oh, she's she's given us 2020, 2021, like just very anachronistic. It is, yeah. yeah. I love how they sort of, you know, blur that line between sort of reality and fantasy moments when she's invisible or whatever. Or even, it, it makes it just feel like it's very much sort of her own sort of world and it's like the world shown through sort of Emily's mind which I think really works really well. It kind of reminds me of her poetry, mm, Emily Dickinson's job. poetry. When I sit with my Emily Dickinson it feels like a blend of that for me. Jess what about you? So my answer is gonna pale in comparison to everybody else's because for me it's much more simple. Um, it was the scene where she's walking through the maze garden right? Yeah. And that overhead shot, that oh. yellow dress that oh she's wearing. Oh my goodness, yes. And that shot was just perfect. Was perfect, perfect lighting, everything. It complemented her so well. Is, you know. Because it is airing at the end of this year, does that mean that it isn't going to be eligible for certain awards next year? Or? It's eligible for 2022. So okay. that might have been why they, why they bumped it up. Um, but yeah, so it'll be eligible for the Emmys in 2022. Um, and then it's eligible for all the awards for the Globes and yeah. the SAG Awards and the Critics' Choice. And they, they kind of domino a little bit. So if, if they can score one of those. Um, Look, me, Luca, and Jess are like the biggest Haley Steinfeld stands on the planet. And then Robin, you're, you're like, you know, the biggest like promoter of like Ella Hunt and like Haley Steinfeld like let's get them to the Emmys like let's do it dude yeah so I, I think mean, we I think we should start a hashtag so the biggest thing is is for the Emmys is that it's people like the the general thing is 60 plus cisgender men and they're not watching the show 
I don't, you know, and it's like, that's, what's going to reach them. And those people are not on Twitter. And this is just what I've been told. I obviously like, I don't, so how do I'm not do a member it? of the Academy. You just, I mean, we keep talking about it and we keep promoting it and Elena keeps promoting it. And then maybe Apple will, it'd be great to see the critics choices are coming up. So on December 13th, a couple of awards are going to be announced the SAG actor awards and those all closed. So yeah, it's just getting the word out so people can see the work, you know, the way the show's been promoted. It's a teen show. Apple still has that. When you when you go to Apple online, it says teen show. And I, it's, it's, I find it so frustrating how they just label it as a comedy. Oh, yes. yes. And More they're not promoting it. They're like, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't they're know. Too, they're too busy promoting Hawkeye. Yeah. <laughs> they're promoting something that's not even on their platform, which is. They're insane. promoting Hawkeye. Yeah. And it's like the darkest of comedies, right? Yeah. It's, it's like so much dark humor overlaid with like that yeah, I mean, millennial perspective. There's so many sort of, you know, there are some great sort of, there's some great comedy in it, but there's so much sort of drama and emotion and like all, you know, it's just to say that it's a comedy is just really selling it short. It's getting critical attention. It's gotten a lot more articles and a lot more high kind of high Look. level articles, which I think is yeah, Disney, it's... to be honest with you, behind it pushing mm. Haley because of Hawkeye. Like I think that I think that they're upping the game. But um Look, yeah, I'm I just I'm just gonna say this. I don't know what a girl gotta do to make sure their people get some Emmys and some recognition. If I got to go out with some flyers and a cardboard attached to my body that says, watch Dickinson. <laughs> yeah, well, fingers crossed. It's such a great show. And maybe we'll get a box set. You never know. Yes. Hashtag Dickinson hope, box set. Tag the right people. I hope that there are, there are bloopers and behind the scenes videos somewhere that Oh yeah, and I want commentary. I need 15 hours of Elena yeah. Smith talking. Oh my god, <laughs> same. I, I want to hear from Elena, like the choices, oh. and get you know have her geek out about those acorn buttons. But I feel like with Dickinson, there is so much sort of symbolism and hidden meaning that you can just sort of analyze it for hours. And yeah, I mean the amount of research that some people do, sort of the theories. Like I've seen threads, you know, people doing all this sort of you know, historical research and looking at all this sort of different symbolism scattered through, like, it's sort of, amazing, it's really right? impressive, yeah, what people have come up with. One of our, one of our favorite people on Twitter, yes. Tony, she is like a detective. She can pull out clues and, and, and spot things. And you're just like, where did you even come up with this? And Twitter is so live, like, yeah. Like they really, they really dive deep. They have no chill. Yeah. <laughs> we have to do it. Well, Luca, thanks so much for talking with us today. It's been great. Yeah, it's, it's, thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. We just want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, the very early on support has been absolutely tremendous. We love you guys. You can follow us on Twitter at the number four evermore, capital P O D. You can follow us on Instagram at dickinson.forevermore.podcast and you can go check out our website that'll have the links to where you can listen to the podcast that's right and you can hear this podcast on spotify or wherever else that you listen to podcasts bye all right here we go oh um, my goodness <laughs> that's my mpr voice hi that's how i'm going to introduce the podcast next time hey everybody <laughs> 
Welcome to Dickinson. Um, Telephone voice. It's going to be Sue saying, welcome to the dungeon. Uh, oh, <laughs> I'm telling you. The okay. master has returned. Master Sue's coming. Mark my words. Okay. Um. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Alrighty. Everybody ready? Luca, you ready? Feeling good? Yep. Yep. Luca probably thinks we're nuts. <laughs> you might as well <laughs> get that right now. <laughs> yep. Get it out of your system, people. 